0: I guess from how we started this service, I've got to say I'm not Pastor Jay. Um, I'm Pastor Ron, and uh, I get the privilege of bringing God's word this morning to you. I I had to tell this first hour, like I don't, I look out at first hour, I I had never in first hour because I'm teaching students as the student pastor first hour, and so this is my community. You are the people I see every Sunday. So, um, and I'm sure there's still people in this room I don't know, but uh, this is where I worship on Sunday morning. So today, we are going to do a a heart checkup, and we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about Scripture. We're going to talk a lot about stories that Jesus taught in the Gospels, and hopefully through that, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. We're going to look at some questions that Jesus gave to some religious leaders and how um, they were a little off. They were focusing on some things, but their priorities were off. And I think those same questions can speak to us because sometimes in our life, our priorities get off and we focus on some things that aren't quite as important and we need to focus on what Jesus is asking us to focus on. So we're going to do a little heart checkup, but before that, we we'll just talk about the heart for a minute, the thing that God created that dwells inside of us. This organ is amazing. Uh, it's respons- responsible for pumping blood to 75 trillion cells in our body, so that under, uh, in all of that, under one minute. That took a designer to craft something that that is so amazing. And God did that. Um, Our heart will beat 100,000 times, shuttling uh, 2,000 gallons of oxygen-filled blood throughout 60,000 miles of blood vessel. In our lifetime, our heart will pump around 1 million barrels of blood. God designed the heart to be the center of our life. And all the details that go into the physical forming of our heart. And the function of our heart is how we sustain life and health. And in Scripture, we know that God brought the terminology of the heart to help us understand that it's our spiritual life. That our walk with God, that who we are as followers of Jesus dwells in our heart. The heart is mentioned over a thousand times in Scripture. It's a part of so many passages. Jesus taught about it over and over again. And in the Hebrew, the heart is all of our human intellect. All of the activity, all of that takes place in our heart. It helps us understand and make convictions. It's our hearts are where we make sense of relationships, the things in this world, where we draw connections to obedience and following Jesus. The heart is where we have emotions and desires. It's where we feel pain. It's where we feel joy. And Jesus spoke of these truths over and over and over again. We also know, though, that sin is a part of this world, that Adam and Eve and their choices of eating from the tree of good and evil, that sin entered this world, and we all inherited it at the time of our birth. And so we know from Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So we know that Jesus has sustained, that our heart is supposed to be where our walk with him resides, but we also know that it's influenced by the things of this world that sometimes wickedness and sin and anger and greed and pride and over and over, those things can dwell inside of us. But we know that God is able to create in us a new heart. And Psalm 51.10 says this, Create in me a clean heart oh God. Renew the right spirit within me. God does redeem us. God does work inside of our hearts. And he did that by his son, sending Jesus to demonstrate his love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel has changed our lives. It has given us the ability to have a heart that chooses to love God and love people to allow us to walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And so when we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. God is calling us to walk in a relationship with him like that. And so we're going to enter Luke 11 where Jesus is gonna question some religious leaders, some Pharisees, because their priorities had gotten messed up. Jesus uses questions all over the gospel, over 300 times, he gives questions to his followers to help them check their hearts, to help them understand, how are they living? What does their life look like? And so that's what we're hoping to do today, for us to dig inside of our hearts and ask yourselves: are we really walking with God? Are we choosing to love him and love people? And so the story starts in verse 37. And these are challenges that Jesus is giving the Pharisees. These are big challenges. They're woes. They're things that he's trying to get their attention because he wants them to understand how important these are. And so for us, as we spend time with Jesus, as we dig into our relationships, these are questions that we can ask ourselves to see, how are we doing? And so 37 says this, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him in to eat with them. So the Pharisees had a little agenda, right? They're inviting Jesus in to have this meal, but they were trying to catch him doing something wrong. So that they could accuse him that what he was saying and what he was calling people to do was not right. And so then, verse 38. That Jesus comes in, but the Pharisees were surprised. They noticed that Jesus did not first wash his meal or wash his hands before the meal. And so that got their attention. Right? That's where the conversation starts. To the Pharisees, that was shocking. It wasn't part of God's law that you had to wash your hands, but it was part of the Pharisees' law. It was something they added to it, that if you went into a meal and you were, had been around unclean things, that before you ate, you had to clean your hands. You had to become clean, have a physical representation of it. And so Jesus is going to correct their wrong thinking. And so our first point is what's inside your heart. And that's where verse 39 picks up. The Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, do you not know who made the outside makes the inside also? But now, as far as what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. So Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to think. But the Pharisees are stuck in their ways. They had added legalism to the law, things that people, they were putting burdens on people to follow things that were not part of God's truth. And so Max Locato defines legalism as this. Legalism is the search for innocence, not forgiveness. It's the process of defending self, justifying self. It's the obsession with the laws, not God. Legalism has no compassion on people. Legalism makes, my opinion, your burden in my opinion, your obligation. The Pharisees had raised legalism to a whole different level in Jesus' day. They had put burdens on people to do things that were not part of God's law. And so Jesus is going to challenge their sickness. He's going to challenge them, but it's not what's on the inside. It's not your piety. It's not your religiousness. It's not you trying to do everything right. It's not you just showing up to church on Sunday morning. It's not you trying to look good on the outside in front of everybody around you. But what's most important is what's inside. Jesus knew the wickedness that, were in, that was in the common man And he said this in Mark 7, 21 through 23. From within, out of man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, erringness, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Our biggest problem is not the external. It's the internal. It's the war that rages inside of us to choose to honor God in our hearts and please him or please the people around us. It's the root of where truth abides. And Jesus said in John 15 that Jesus abides inside of us, that his residence is our heart, that if we're connected to the vine, then Jesus takes up residence inside of us when we abide with him. And so why would we allow wickedness and sin and the things of this world fill us up? Jesus said this in Luke six forty five: A good man brings good things out of a good sort up in his heart. An evil man brings evil thoughts out of, his, of the evil sort up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what dwells inside of us is what comes out in our everyday life. And God knows our hearts. Proverbs 21:2 says this, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. God knows our heart. We all at some point in our house have had something get broken, right? Or there's a hole in the wall. We had holes in the wall right? And nobody knows how they got there, right? Nobody knows how the hole in the wall got there. God knows who put the hole in the wall. God knows the inside of our heart. You can't hide from him. You can't talk yourself out of it. You can't run far enough. God knows what dwells inside of you. That should alarm some of us because so often we play games and we think we're getting away with it. I'll just do this on the side, but I'll show up on Sunday and everything will be all right. I'll just let this little sin inside of me dwell there and I'll just leave it alone. But God sees it. You're not getting away with it. He knows who put the hole in the wall. God knows the heart of every man, and he values that. Samuel said this, don't look, on the, don't look on the appearance. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees our heart. He knows our heart. So he knows everything about us. He knows our love for him. He knows our love for people. He knows the wickedness that dwells inside of us. God's calling us to follow him, to let him take root up in our heart. Psalm 4086, 11 says this, teach me your way that I may re- rely on your faithfulness. Give me the an undivided heart that I may fear your name. God's asking us to be, let our heart beat with him. It's said if you take two human hearts out of the body and you place them next to each other, they'll pick up the same rhythm and they'll beat together. God is asking us to walk with him in life and let our hearts beat together. And so he gives us to the, se- the second question Do you love God and do you love justice? There's so much that goes into this question that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. The verse says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you live God, a tenth of your your mint rule and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice, the love of God. You have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So first of all, we got to get to the, the big point. I am not saying do not tithe. That is not what Jesus is saying Jesus is not saying don't tithe. Rather, he's saying that there's more to it. Right? It's not just tithing. You've got to love God. You've got to live justice. You have to love your neighbor. Those are heavy matters in Jesus' mind and what he's trying to teach his followers. Jesus wants us to let our heart be filled with the love of God. He wants God to be our treasure. And we know that from 1 John 4, 9, we love because he first loved us. God demonstrated his love towards us through Jesus. And now we get to love God back as a result to that. And Jesus called us in the Shema and Deuteronomy, and in Matthew, he brought it up in Matthew 22. Jesus said this, Thou shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus is reminding us that it starts, all of life starts with loving God first, above everything else, that we want more and more of our relationship with God each and every day. And so Jesus uh, illustrated this story, this idea in um, a story in Luke 10, starting in verse 38. And this will be familiar to you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to the village where the woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord... Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then verse 41 says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You worried and are upset about many things, but few things are needed or intended only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be ta- not be taken away from her. Jesus is reminding us in this story that the best place is at his feet in worship, that the best place is listening to Jesus. So when we open his word every day, the best place is to listen to him speak to us through his word. When we pray every day, the best place is to be there praying and listening. The best place is when we journal listening to God as he speaks those words into our hearts and we write them on paper. The best place is just sitting there with Jesus and loving him and letting that grow inside of us. But yet, like verse 40, we're distracted people, right? Our phones can distract us all day long. The busyness of our life can distract us all day. And we forget that the best place is at Jesus' feet. How many hours we scroll through the internet trying to get more information and find more knowledge and figure more things out and be more entertained Or we spend hours watching TV or sitting in front of mindless activity over and over and over again, being distracted. Instead of knowing what the best place is, it's at Jesus' feet. And that's where we love God best is by confessing our sins and dwelling with him and letting him speak into our lives. And the second part that Jesus challenges the Pharisees in this verse is his justice. Justice is doing right in our relationships. It's being morally fair and right in what we're doing. And Tim Keller defined it like this. Biblical justice is characterized by radical generosity, universal quality, life-changing advocacy, and responsibility. So justice steps in. It steps into the world. It loves their neighbor when the needs arise. God has called us to live that out in every day we breathe on this earth. The Pharisees were about a lot of stuff. They were doing a lot of things. But they weren't helping the poor. They weren't loving people. They were forgetting the Shema and the, the laws in Leviticus. And so Jesus is hitting them at the heart. And he's saying, you got to remember. right? It's not just about those things. It's about loving God and loving people. And so God calls us to live that every day in our life. That happens in this room. There's some hard truths in 1 John 4.20, and it says this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It goes back to the beginning. The more we love God, the more we're going to love the people around us. So if we wonder why we're not loving people, we're probably not loving God enough. We're not stopping our life. We're not sitting at the feet of Jesus because the people who sit at the feet of Jesus love the people around them because it flows out of their life. And so we can't sit in this room and hate the people around us. Loving God and hating people don't go together. If you claim the name of Jesus, you're called to love your neighbor, to love the people around you in the church and outside the church. Jesus put another exclamation mark on it when he called us to love our enemies. We can love the people around us in our family and in the church, but to love the people who don't love us back, that's hard. Luke 6, 27 says this, but you are listening, I say, love your enemies and do do good to those who hate. That was enough. That rattled the minds of the Pharisees. It rattled the mind of the religious people because Jesus was asking them to love people that were unclean. In Luke 10, 25, there's another story of Jesus dealing with this issue um, where he calls us, to look to our neighbor, to love them. And this is what it says in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. They're coming at him again. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And then Jesus tells the story of, the religious, of a man being beaten on the side of the road and two religious leaders walking by him and doing nothing. They ignored him and went to the other side of the room and neglected him. And then the Samaritan man, who was not supposed to stop because he wasn't a Jew, stops and gets him on his donkey and takes him to the inn and cares for him and provides resources for him to be cared for after he's done, he leaves. And then he's going to check into him on the second, after that. So he goes beyond the measure to to love his neighbor. Jesus says at the end of that story, go and do likewise. Will you stop and love your neighbor? Those who stop and sit at the feet of Jesus stop and love their neighbor. God's been teaching this to me in new ways in my life. One day I was late for church and I'm on my electric bike and I got it full throttle and I'm pedaling hard and I'm trying to get here on time. And there's this guy, what looks like on a blob, going down the bike path. And uh, I pass him and he yells at me. And I stopped. And this homeless man was living on an electric handicapped cart. And he had a generator on it to keep it going, to charge the battery. He had his tent. He had his sleeping bag. He had his George Foreman grill to cook his food. He had everything that belonged to him on this cart. And he just starts asking me about my bike. He wanted to talk about electric bikes. I knew nothing about my electric bike. I bought it because it got me here. Um, I'm not an engineer. I couldn't tell him how the motor works or how the power gets to it or how I charge the battery. But he wanted to talk about it, so we sat there and we talked. And then I asked him where he was going, and he said, I'm going to this church to get help. And so we talked a little bit about the gospel. And then I asked him, Do you need anything? And he said, Water and Gatorade. And I'm like, Water and Gatorade? I'm in a hurry but God just kept putting those thoughts in my head and I had to stop and go get water and Gatorade. And I had to bring it back to him and I had to give him time. And then a couple weeks later, I'm driving home, trying to get home for dinner and he's on the corner by my house. (laughs) So I had to ask myself, am I going to stop or am I going to keep driving to eat my dinner? And I stop and I get out of the car and I start listening to him and he's ranting about a whole lot of things. And I ask him, What do you want? And he said, Water and Gatorade. I'm like, I don't know. So now I got to go get more water and Gatorade. (laughs) And I brought him back some other food. And then he says, I got to show you what I bought. And he pulls out this trumpet. And everything inside of me got angry. The wickedness inside of my heart goes, I started judging him. I'm like, why did you buy a trumpet? And then he just started playing it. He couldn't play it. He's blowing into it. Sound like a dead wolf, if a dead wolf has a sound. But he was just blowing into it. And we sat there for 15 minutes. Just I just listened to him play this trumpet. And we started talking about God and the gospel and How he'd been hurt in his life and how he'd had part of times at churches and visited different places. But God's just led me to stop. When are you going to stop and love your neighbor? In this room, in the community? There's needs all around us, there's no shortage of someone that needs to be loved. There's lonely people everywhere. There's homeless people everywhere. There's great needs in the public school. There's needs all around us. Crystal Lake is not absent of ways to love people. It's all around us. But are we distracted? Are we so caught up in our own self that we won't do anything about it? And that's where the third question comes in. This is where Jesus goes at the idea of what's inside of you. What comes first? And so, do you need attention? This is what he said to the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. They wanted the right seat, They wanted the seat of power and authority. They wanted everyone's eyes on them. They wanted to have all the attention put on them. The Pharisees loved it, right? They wanted to look good on the outside. They didn't care what was going on on the inside, but they wanted everyone around them to see the outside and their piety and their pride and their self-righteousness, that it was all coming in front of them. Do you want, do you do it for attention? Are you doing it to get the right seat? The Pharisees were great at living a double life. They looked good on the outside, but in the inside, they were filled with wickedness. Those reli- religious leaders were full of greed and self-indulgence and hypocrisy. We get a great example of what matters most when it comes to this. And it's Paul's story. It's in Philippians 3. And this is what verses 4 through 6 says. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as a for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, and flawless... Paul had the legacy. He had the heritage. He came from the right tribes. He had the right connections. He was part of an elite group. He was a Pharisee. He was well-respected as a religious leader. He had passion and zeal to persecute the church. He had morality of doing the right things. He was seeking to do the right things religiously. But then this is what he says in verse 7 through 8. He says, but everything that was gained to me I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More that, I also consider everything to be lost in the view of surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul's saying, you know what? I had it all. I had all the attention out of me. People were, I was valued. I had worth. I had physical worth. I had it all. But all of that is garbage to knowing Jesus, to having a personal relationship with Jesus All of that is worthless for me to have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And out of my love for God to be able to and to love people around me more and more. And the more I love God, the more I love people. Paul had demonstrated that in his life over and over and over again. That was his story. What's your story What's been said about you? Do you love God and do you love people? Is Jesus the most important thing? Or are you just trying to be famous, to look good on the outside? Jesus went on to teach this to his disciples, right? They had moments where they argued. Who could sit next to Jesus? Who's most important? Right, even them were slow to learn, but Jesus calls them and says this at the end of uh, chapter twenty-two, Luke twenty-two, verse twenty-six: "says But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves." So Jesus is reminding the disciples it's not about the attention. It's about being a humble person who loves God and loves people and serves them. And how did Jesus demonstrate that to his disciples? He had them in the upper room, and they had gotten there, and their feet were filthy. And what did Jesus do? The lowest job on the totem pole. He got up, and he washed their feet. And Jesus calls his disciples at the end in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is calling us to not be wrapped up in the popularity and the fame and the pride, but he's asking us to humbly just serve. To love God and love people and to follow his example. So the last question is in verse 44. What's your legacy? Are you living for God's glory and to make his name known? Here's the question from Jesus. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. So in the book of Leviticus the law says that you're unclean if you touch any dead animal or person. That's scripture. But the Pharisees had added to it and dumped more on people saying, you can't even walk over a grave. If you walk over a grave or something dead, you're unclean. Jesus is declaring to the Pharisees by this statement that they're the unmarked graves. If people come in contact with them, they're going to experience being the corruptness and the wickedness, and it's going to be repulsive because the Pharisees are the ones that are unclean. The Pharisees thought they were leading people closer to God, but in reality, they were leading them to judgment. They were putting more burden on them. They were making it harder on them, all for their own gain. Hypocrisy can become a disease. It can consume us. Jesus is asking us to follow his priorities, to love God and love people. God's asking us to live for the purpose which we were created. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by name, called by my name, who I created for glory, whom I have made. We know that we are created for God's glory, to worship him, to sit at his feet, to do the one thing that's most important. We live for God's glory by confessing our sin, by sitting at his feet, Jesus' feet, and listening to his word, by studying his word, by proclaiming his gospel, by bearing fruit, by loving others, by being content, by living for his purposes, living a life of worship. Jesus is calling us to tell his story, to live for his legacy, not our own. We had a great saint here named Omar Sutherland who lived his life sharing the gospel every day of his life he bumped into someone at McDonald's or at the car dealership or wherever he went. Every conversation turned into a spiritual conversation. That's a legacy. That's loving God and loving people. Paul gave us some great truth in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9, when he said, or 8 through 9, and he said this, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but about our lives as well. Another perfect example of what it means to love God and love people. The gospel has changed us. So we spend time with people and we share those truths with them. We let them understand that God is a God who loves. And that he demonstrated that through sending his son to die on the cross for their sin and our sin so we could be set free from that bondage so that we could live life through the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples who make disciples, who carry on the priorities of Jesus over and over and over again in our everyday life. God is not calling us to play church, to just show up on Sunday and be religious people. God is calling us to live a life like Jesus every day. His priorities become our priorities. We deny ourselves. We pick up the cross and we follow Jesus, living for his glory and to make his name known so that Jesus is famous. That should be our legacy. So let's land the plane because I don't even know what else to say anymore. You just have to land the plane. Um, Your walk with Jesus matters. The way you live your life matters. And in this distracted world, we get lost in that. And sometimes we believe lies like, "What, what am I supposed to do? I don't even know what to do. There are needs all around us. But the first thing Jesus is asking us to do is sit at his feet. Where do you sit at his feet? When we take kids to Mount Koresh, British Columbia, um, one of the parts of that experience that reaches them is that every morning for an hour, they wake up before anything else happens and they go to this river where they see this beautiful landscape of mountains and this, this river roaring down the mountainside. And they spend an hour with God. And that shapes their heart. God speaks into them and they listen and they hear his word and they hear his voice in their prayers. And they write the things he's putting on their heart in their journals. And they spend time with Jesus. When's the last time you carved out time for Jesus? More than 15 minutes. When's the last time that you get away just to be with Jesus? To read and listen and pray and listen and write and listen and just sit in solitude and be in worship. Because Jesus said there's nothing better. Nothing's better. Pastor Jay and Becky are away living that principle. They're spending time with Jesus, they're at his feet, they're listening, they're writing, they're spending time recharging their lives. We got time. When it all comes down to it, we got time. None of us are that busy. We have lots of responsibilities and think life gets full. I know that's true. I live that life every day. But priorities take precedent over our busy schedule. And if Jesus says to do it, it requires obedience. And so we find time. We sit at his feet. And Jesus is challenging us that out of that relationship, we're going to love and serve the people around us. Who are you going to love and serve? Who are you going to stop and meet their needs in this room, outside of this room, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your workplace, wherever Jesus takes you? We can stop, and we can love and share the gospel, and we can make a difference in this world, and for all of eternity. Why would we choose anything else? These are questions that Jesus gave to the religious, to ch- religious leaders to challenge how they were living. And they can be challenges to us. What's the inside look like? Am I loving God and loving justice and loving my neighbor? Or am I seeking my own attention? Do I want all of that, or is it better for me to have Jesus and live for his legacy? Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful um, for you. We're grateful for the difference that you've made in our life. And Lord, we ask that you would just continue to speak into us. Lord, may we hear your voice, and may we sit and be still at your feet. And out of that relationship, may it change the way we live and we love people. All for your glory and to make your name known. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.